morning. It's good to see you here this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, and you can, you can turn there. You know, if I have my calendar right, today is the last day of April, which means we are uh, right, on the, uh, right on the edge of summertime, and we're looking forward to summertime in our house for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons why I'm looking forward to summer is I get a break from helping my kids with homework. I know some of y'all feel me out there. You understand. Uh, you know, I, I swear... I, I got a high school diploma. I finished all these grades, but they'll bring their homework home. And I'm like, man, I don't remember this at all. My son brings his algebra homework home. I, I know I took algebra. I know I passed it, but that doesn't even look familiar. I feel like he's messing with me. You know, uh, there, there, there's a situation where you can understand most of the content for a class. Uh, but maybe there's just that one thing that won't stick in your brain. We all have those things that don't exactly stick in our brain and one of my kids, uh, for, uh, it's fractions. Um, adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing fractions don't really, doesn't really stick. And so we've been really working on that and trying to get that ready for the end of the year test. And we've been working on that. And, and as I, I think about fractions and trying to help her, you know, I'm like, okay, well, multiplication of fractions, easy. Got it. I remember that one. Okay, adding, subtracting fractions takes me a second, a little bit tricky, but I remember that one. But then the question comes. But dad, how do you divide fractions? And I just, I don't remember, you know? Uh, the only solution I could think of is ask your mom, uh, or Google, or, uh, or Alexa, or something. Uh, how, how do you divide fractions? I couldn't remember that one. Um, that, that's a question, isn't it, though? What, what do we do with division? What do we do with division? You know, and in our world, it's, it's more divided than it's ever been. I could point you to some Pew Research uh, studies that show that America is more divided than it's ever been. And those, those same studies show that, as a matter of fact, America is more divided than other countries in the world, any other country in the world, and it's actually not close. We are a, a divided society more than ever. And in the midst of a divided world, what should Jesus' church do? Well, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, and one of the implications of, of the text that we're going to look at together is that the, it, the answer to a divided world is a united people of God. And I'm going to show you that in the text. We've, we've been in Galatians the last couple of weeks, and and just a reminder of, of what we've been doing, you know, uh, Paul is writing to this Roman region known as Galatia. He has uh, traveled to this place and these towns in this region. He's shared the gospel. He's started churches, and then he's kind of left those churches to themselves. Well, after Paul leaves, there's some men who come in after him, and they say, you know, Paul hasn't really been teaching you the whole truth. Uh, it, he came in and he told you Jesus was the Messiah, but that's not enough. Not only do you have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you also have to become a Jew. You have to follow the law of Moses. You, you need to do things, uh, the things that set Jews apart from Gentiles, things like circumcision or following the dietary laws or keeping the Sabbath. And they told these Galatians, they told them, if you don't do these things, then you're not a full part of the people of God. So Paul gets wind of this and he writes Galatians, because he disagrees. And he begins, we looked at this in Galatians chapter 1, he begins by defending his authority that his uh, apostleship 
does not come from uh, any man or he didn't make it up on its own, that he, he has been appointed a leader by God himself. And not only that, his message that he preaches is not a message he came up with by just studying really hard or being smart enough. This message that he preaches is one that Jesus himself gave to him. And it's the message that he's been preaching. He hasn't changed at all. Well, today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And in these verses, Paul is still defending his message. But what we're going to see is that he, he defends his message when it comes under fire. So the first section, Paul makes a trip to Jerusalem where there's some Jews who attack his message. And then in the second section, we're going to see that Peter makes a trip from Jerusalem to Antioch, and Paul's message is attacked again. And we're going to see how Paul responds in both of those scenarios. Let's begin in uh, Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10, where uh, the gospel is under attack in Jerusalem. And if you're wanting to just make a note uh, on your own notes about these sections, it's under attack in Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 1. Paul writes, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. This verse sets the, sets the table for what's about to take place. We kind of see who the players are. Paul says, After 14 years, he went up again to Jerusalem. Uh, what, what's taking place there is, remember, Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, but then he met the Lord Jesus on the way, and he was a persecutor of the church, and now he's going to be a preacher of the faith, and, and you see how that takes place. Well, then, what he says is, 14 years after that, I made my second trip to Jerusalem. Well, what took place in between those 14 years? Paul's preached, and he started churches. He's preached in Damascus, and he's preached in Arabia, and he preached in Damascus again. Then he came down to Jerusalem where he hung out with Peter for a couple of weeks and met James, Jesus' brother, and, and then he went to Cilicia, and then he went to Syria, and, and he went to South Galatia, and he's been preaching and planting churches for 14 years. At 14 years, he goes to Jerusalem, and this tells us that he takes two people with him, a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas is a disciple of the apostles. As a matter of fact, Barnabas is the one who was like the go-between between Paul and the apostles. He's the first one who went to the apostles and said, this guy, Paul, he's a good guy. I know he was a persecutor of the church, but, but now he's one of us. Th that was Barnabas, kind of the go-between guy. Barnabas actually traveled with Paul. He went with Paul on his missionary journey. That's Barnabas. And then uh, the second guy mentioned is Titus. We don't know much about Titus other than he is a companion of Paul. And at some point, Paul leaves Titus in a place called Crete to kind of help the church and lead the church there. And that's where you get the book of Titus, that, that letter in the New Testament. That's this same guy. So that's the table is set. That's the scene that's, that's about to take place. In verse 2, Paul describes a private meeting. Look with me in verse 2. Paul says... I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So Paul, Paul describes this private meeting that takes place. So in Acts chapter 11, there's this prophet named Agabus. And Agabus tells the people in Antioch where Paul was at, he, he tells them that there's going to be a famine. 
So Paul decides he's going to go down to Jerusalem and he's going to ask for some help. That's, that's probably the, uh, the revelation that he's referring to there in verse 2. I went up because of a revelation. That's why he's in Jerusalem is to deal with this famine and try to get some help. So there he has this private meeting. He says with those who seemed influential. He's not familiar with the, the Jewish church there in Jerusalem. So there are some who seemed influential. Later in the text, we're going to see who these people are. It's, it's Peter and it's James, the brother of Jesus. And, and then it's John, the son of Zebedee. These three guys are like pillars in this church. And that, that's who he's meeting with. Now, it says that he meets there to bring a message. He wants to go and he wants to share his message with these these apostles. The reason why, he says, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't running in vain. So does that mean he's bringing his message to get the apostles' approval? I would say no, because he just spent the last chapter of Galatians 1 saying, I don't don't need anybody's approval. My message is from the Lord Jesus. What Paul means is this. Look, there's a church in Jerusalem, and it's mostly Jewish people. There's like a Jewish church. Paul has been establishing mostly Gentile churches all over, all over the world. So there, there's a Gentile message, and there's a Jewish message. Paul is making sure that's the same message, that there's one church, and it matches up. We, we don't want to have a divided church preaching different messages um, because that loses all power. There, there's power in unity, and that, that's what Paul means there. So this is the meeting. This is the presentation he presents this gospel message to the apostles. Well, then in verses 3 through 5, we find there's a disagreement that happens. Look in verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So let me break this down for you. There's this private meeting where Paul is sharing the message that he's been preaching. And with him, he's got this guy named Titus. Titus, he says he's a Greek. That's another way of saying he's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And and so this is the question of the day. Paul has been preaching this message to Gentiles saying, you don't need to become Jewish to be a part of the people of God. All you need is faith in Jesus. And, and Titus is one of these guys who's received this message, and he thinks he's a part of the people of God. Well, at this meeting, there are some people who slipped in. Paul calls them false brothers. That means they have the appearance of being Christians, but their message is a false message, and they are not. They are false brothers. And somehow they slipped into this meeting, and, and what they want and what they believe is right is that Jewish Christians should keep the law of Moses and Gentile Christians should become Jewish and keep the law of Moses. That's what they believe. And poor Titus, Titus is going to be the test case. He's Gentile. And what these guys uh, apparently say is, you know what? Titus ought to be circumcised. That's the deal. Now, why does this matter? Where does this come from? Well, way back in Genesis, uh, Abraham, God, God makes a promise to Abraham and makes a covenant with him. And the promise to Abraham is that your, your descendants are going to uh, be countless like the stars. Uh, you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to give the land of Canaan to your descendants. And the sign of this covenant that God is making with Abraham is the sign of circumcision. 
So anybody who wants to be associated with Abraham's got to be circumcised. Jews and any Gentile that wanted to be a part of the people of God, they also had to be circumcised. So these guys come in and they're like, look, there, there it is in Genesis. And here's, here's Titus. So let me, let me set the scenario for you. Paul's preaching a message of freedom and grace from the law of Moses. They Freedom from the law of Moses. Faith in Jesus is all that's required to be a part of the people of God. He brings it before the apostles, and he tells them, this is the message Jesus gave me. Well, these false brothers come in, they speak up, and they say, no, that's not exactly right, and here's Titus, let's go ahead and take care of this now. How did Paul respond? In verse 5, it says that Paul did not yield to them in submission even for a second, even for a moment, much to Titus's appreciation, Paul says, no, no, not even for a second. For what reason? He says in verse 5, so that the gospel might be preserved for you. Now remember, he's writing to the Galatians. He's gone and he's preached to these Gentiles and he's told them, all you need is faith in Jesus. And he's saying, I'm preserving the message for you. And really, as readers of Galatians, us. I don't know everybody in the room, but I know that probably most of us, 99% of us, are probably Gentiles, not Jewish. So this is, the gospel's being preserved for us. We don't have to become Jewish, and Titus is, is the evidence, it's the test case. You see, Paul has no fear of man. He tells these false brothers, no. And the reason why he tells them no is because this is a gospel issue. If he were to go ahead and circumcise Titus, what is he saying to the rest of us? That we have to become Jewish also. So the scene is set. Paul versus these false brothers. And, and how will the apostles respond to this? Look, look in verse 6 what they do. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. In other words, Paul's saying they agreed with my message and they said, yep, you got it. That's all. That's it. You're right. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, it tells us that, that Titus, they didn't make Titus be circumcised. They agreed with Paul. And verses 7 through 9 tell us why they agreed with Paul. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, and when James and Cephas, that's Peter, when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. Here's what those verses mean. They agreed with Paul. They agreed with his message. They saw that Paul had been entrusted to the same gospel that Peter had been entrusted, that Peter had been preaching to the Jews and Paul had been preaching the same message to the Gentiles. And then they say that they saw the grace that was given to Paul. They saw that the work was, the Lord was at work in his life and they knew that God was doing something special with Paul. And so it says that they agreed with Paul and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. That means that they gave him full support and they commissioned him. Paul, you go preach to the Gentiles and, and we, we'll, we'll stick with the Jews. But it's the same message. 
It's just two different targets. And then in verse 10, they wrap up this meeting. It says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That, remember, the whole reason Paul was in Jerusalem in the first place was to get some aid for the people that were going to be enduring this famine in Antioch. And so Paul's like, yeah, that's why I was here. So that's, that's one meeting. The gospel is under attack in Jerusalem. Paul had, had gone to Jerusalem to, to bolster his message, to cultivate unity between the Jewish church, the Gentile church, and he presented his message, and the apostles agreed with him. The gospel was under attack in Jerusalem. Paul fought back for unity among the people of God. In the next section of scripture, not only was the gospel under attack in Jerusalem, the gospel was also under attack in a place called Antioch. So look with me uh, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, remember Cephas is Peter, when, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, Cephas is Peter, and then we have this reference to this place called Antioch. If you read the book of Acts, you might get kind of confused. There's two places called Antioch. One of them is in Syria, and that's the one that's being discussed here. Antioch is one of the first places where Gentiles started to trust in the Lord Jesus. Antioch is uh, the first place where believers in Jesus were called Christians. It's the first place. Christian originally was a derogatory term, and we just took it on ourselves. Yeah, call me that. That's fine. I'm a Christian. Uh, Antioch was the first place that that was used. And Paul had, Paul had gone out to Galatia, and he had preached the gospel for the first time, and he began to establish churches, and then he came back to Antioch. Antioch was his home base for his missionary journeys. He'd returned from Galatia, his first missionary journey. He was in Antioch, and Peter, the apostle, comes from Jerusalem, and he shows up to Antioch, and there's this awkward situation. Paul describes it like this. He says, I got in his face. I got in his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. Now, Paul doesn't think that Peter's not a Christian. Uh, the, the, the word condemned, it, it, can mean, it can mean that God has evaluated someone's behavior and has disapproved of it. Paul means, when he says Peter stands condemned, that Peter has behaved in a way that is unacceptable before God. So he stands condemned, and, and Paul says, so I got in his face. I got in his face. Now what exactly did Peter do? Verse 12 explains to us. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So here's what, here's what Peter did. There were some men from James. James is the brother of Jesus. He's the leader of the Jerusalem church. Okay, there's some men. He sends some guys from his church to Antioch with a message for Peter. Now, we don't know what that actual message is, but we can make some assumptions based on what takes place here. So in the 40s, not the 1940s, the first century 40s, there were uh, some Jews who were persecuting Jewish Christians. And the reason why is they were very concerned that, that Jews would keep the law of Moses. And these Jewish Christians were not doing that. And these Jews knew that if you didn't keep the law of Moses, all the promises of the Old Testament, is it goes poorly for the people of God. So they, they were persecuting these Jewish Christians to compel them to keep the law. 
Well, presumably, James sends this message to Peter. Why, why would he do that? Well, it's become known that Peter is eating with Gentiles. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but for a Jewish man like Peter, it, it was actually a big deal. Um, in order for us to understand that, we need a little bit of context. So, very quickly, the, the people of Israel, when they were on their way to the promised land, God gave them the law, the law of Moses. Now, they were going to get to the promised land, and that land was supposed to be theirs. The problem was that there was people living there. Canaanites were living in the land. And they were supposed to displace all of them, but they did not. So the question is, how are the people of God going to stand separate from the Canaanites? The Canaanites were wicked people. They did all sorts of things. They worshiped idols. They did all sorts of wicked things. How are the people of God going to remain separate? Well, by obedience to the law of Moses. That law was given to them on the way to the promised land. And so you can read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You can read the law. They're going to obey these things. And there's some really weird things in there. And we don't always understand them. Like Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11 talks about the dietary laws. What, what the people of God, the Jews, can eat and what they cannot eat. You've probably heard Jews can't eat pork. That's true. And the reason why is the law of Moses, Leviticus chapter 11. And so that's the deal. The, the people of God are going to remain separate by keeping these laws. They had these dietary laws. And here, here's what would happen if, if an Israelite who is considered a clean person and allowed in the presence of God, uh, an Israelite, were to eat something unclean, that would move them from the realm of being a clean person to an unclean person. And they could go back, but they had to do all these rituals and washings and all these things in order to be uh, considered clean again. And so for, for many Jews, they, they would just insist, you don't eat with a the Gentile, there's too much to risk. You might do something that causes you to be unclean, so you don't eat with a Gentile. As a matter of fact, don't even enter their home. That would make you unclean. You risk too much. Now Peter, he's a Jew. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision, like a dream. In this dream, all of these animals are coming down out of the sky. And God, God speaks to Peter in his dream, and he says, Peter, take, kill, and eat. Peter looks at these animals, and he notices there's some animals up there that are unclean. And he says to the Lord, by no means, Lord. By the way, if the Lord ever speaks to you, do not say, by no means, Lord. <laughs> by, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean in my entire life. I'm not going to start now. And the Lord tells Peter in this vision, he says, look, don't call common what I've called clean. In other words, don't, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Well, right after this, Peter wakes up from his dream, and right after this, he gets a message. There's this man, Cornelius, he's a Gentile, he, he, he wants to hear from Peter. And so Peter goes and speaks with Cornelius. Cornelius, Cornelius becomes a believer. Peter starts to realize that, look, the gospel isn't just for Jews, it's for the whole world. It's for the Gentiles also. And we fast forward here to what Paul's describing in Galatians 2. This is after he's had this vision and he's eating with Gentiles because he rightly understands the gospel. Gentiles, you and I, we don't have to become clean to be a part of the people of God. We're already made clean by the blood of Jesus. And Peter understands this. 
and he's eating with Gentiles. Well, these men from James come, and they inform him of what's going on. Best not continue doing what you're doing, Peter. Peter is afraid that the persecution might come for him, or that his actions might cause persecution for others. It says that he's afraid. It says that he's fearing the circumcision party. That does not sound like a fun party. Uh, he feared man. And so he drew back. What, what's going on? Why does this matter? Who cares who he's eating with? This isn't like elementary school, lunchroom stuff. I'm going to sit at this table now. This is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Because it's not about food and it's not about table manners. It reminds me of uh, something that took place in the 1960s civil rights movement. So in this civil rights movement, there was a protest you've heard of. It's called uh, a sit-in. So in, in those days, there were some restaurants that African Americans could not eat in because of their race. And so what they did in order to protest this is they would do a sit-in. They would go sit in this restaurant, and when they were told to leave, they would not, peacefully. They would not leave. And they were arrested peacefully, but the point was made. We belong here just like everybody else. Well, uh, there's this story of a time where they had gone to the uh, New York, uh, sorry, Nashville mayor's house. And, and this Nashville mayor is trying to calm these, these protesters down, and he's saying, like, I don't know what you want me to do. I can't tell these restaurants and business owners what to do. And then the mayor has this idea. He says, well, we're all Christians. Why don't we pray together? And one of the protesters calls out from the crowd. It's not about prayer. He calls out from the crowd. He says, no, why don't we eat together? See, it's not about food. It's not about table manners. When we eat together, it's about belonging. It's about saying you and I are on equal footing. We belong together. We're the same, me and you. That's, that's why it mattered in the, in the civil rights. And also, this is an outcome of the gospel. There is now one people of God because of what Christ has done. There is one. There are not tiers among the people of God, like, like levels among the people of God, super Christians, not super Christians, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. There's not levels or, or different. There is one people of God. And you're either in or out. And the question that, that Galatians is really wrestling with here and combating is do you have to obey the law of Moses or not? Peter's actions say, yep, you got to obey the law of Moses. you got to remain clean in order to be a part of the people of God. And that's why Paul opposes him. There's another problem. Peter's actions affected somebody else. Look in verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter's actions did not affect him alone, but the rest of the Jewish Christians, they were eating with Gentiles. They saw what Peter did, and they said, oh, we ought to follow Peter, what he's doing. And then it's like Paul is shocked. He's like, even Barnabas. Barnabas had gone with Paul to Galatia to preach this message that all you need is to, be, uh, to have faith in Jesus to be justified. Barnabas was a part of that message, and, and now he was led astray. Paul calls this hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is when your outward behavior doesn't match your inward belief. And Peter is walking in hypocrisy. You know, Peter and Paul had already agreed on what the message was. Peter knew the truth. He just wasn't walking in light of it. 
And so how does Paul respond? Look in verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, that's a really confusing sentence. You might have to read it a few times to understand or just let me explain. What, what he's saying is he's telling Peter, Peter, this whole time, you're a Jewish man, but you've been living like a Gentile because you understand the truth of the gospel. Now when these men come, all of a sudden you're going to kind of change the way that you're acting and you're going to expect these Gentiles to act like Jews and to follow the law of Moses? That's hypocritical. So he opposes them to his face publicly because it was a public offense. Paul views Peter's actions as contrary to the gospel. I want you to notice how both these guys, Paul and Peter, respond to pressure, right? So for Paul, in in Jerusalem, when these false brothers come in and pressure him, he doesn't yield even for a second. He doesn't yield. Well, Peter, as soon as this message comes, that there's there's a real threat of persecution. It's, It's a real threat. But as soon as this pressure comes, Peter caves and he pulls away. Why does what Peter did Why does that matter? Because Peter was communicating with his actions that he didn't believe the gospel. I I think we do that in a lot of areas in our own life, by the way. We communicate with our actions that we don't believe the gospel. That's what Peter was doing. He was hypocritical in his approach to table fellowship because he didn't, he, he feared man. He was afraid. But listen, I want to announce to you what the gospel says. The gospel declares that the people of God is comprised of all of those who would place their faith in Jesus. And Paul's going to say later, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, there are no more distinctions with respect to who can belong to the people of God. Whether race, ethnicity, gender, social status, all of those things are irrelevant with regard to entrance into the people of God. That doesn't mean that all of our distinctions go away and we're all the same. No, we're, uh, by God's wisdom, we're all very different. What, what it means is that our differences do not divide us. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper this morning. That's where we're headed. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we do a few things. A different, way, different ways to think about what we're doing. One of those is we proclaim his death until he comes. Another one of those things we do when we take the Lord's Supper is we declare that, that the Passover back in Exodus has been fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We also declare that, that uh, uh, there's a new covenant in Jesus' blood, that the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, has been fulfilled. There is a new covenant in Jesus' blood. We also understand that the Lord's Supper is a foreshadowing of the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the end of all things, when the Lord Jesus returns, the people of God will sit around a table and we will celebrate the victory that he has won. But this morning, the focus that I want to bring to the Lord's Supper is this. When we gather around the table, when we eat together, we're demonstrating the unity of the people of God. There is one people of God. What do you do with division? That's the question. What do you do with division in, in a divided world? What do you do with it? There, there are many things that might divide us in this room. Like, 
most of you are, are members here at Central. Some of you are new. Some of you are just kind of checking it out. But for those of us in this room that are believers in Jesus, there are many things that might divide us. Many things. We might be divided by race or by ethnicity. We might be divided by political affiliation or political belief on all of these hot-button issues. We could be divided over those things. We could be divided over social status, rich and poor, and everything in between. We could divide over uh, belief about secondary and third-level matters, theology stuff that it matters, but it's like second and third level. It's not the gospel. We could be divided over those things. We, we could also be divided over personal offense. Someone in the room has wronged me, and I will not forgive them. Or I, I have wronged somebody else, and they will not forgive me. Or I, I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. That relationship's over. They can stay on their side, and I'll stay on mine. We could be divided over personal offense. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. No, we will not be divided. There, there is one people of God. None of those other things matter. Their distinctions and differences are all fine. But our differences will not divide us. What do you do with division? You unite. 